This is not your grandma's Bible study. Hey all welcome to Not Your Grandma's Bible Study. I'm Jill. I'm Zach. And we're not your grandma. I'm not your grandma. But we are doing a Bible study. Yeah, Bible study. Hallelujah. All right, get your prayer shawls out, all y'all. Um, and put them on your head. And put them on your head, ladies, because we're talking about the Valley Passage in Corinthians 11. Ooh. Yeah. It's the most <laughs> not- excited intro I've ever done. <laughs> I think so. This passage was recommended um, a few months ago, actually, by one of our Twitter followers, Ashley. Um, she asked that we we talk about this one, among other things. So here we are, Ashley. This one's for you. I'm going to start by doing just a quick reading of the passage. It's um, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 2 through 16. Um, it's not very long. It's all over the place, so it's short enough where I feel like I can just read it real fast. So Sounds good. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. Um, he says, I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions just as I handed them on to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the husband is the head of his wife, and God is the head of Christ. Any man who prays or prophesies with something on his head disgraces his head. But any woman who prays or prophesies with her head unveiled disgraces her head. It is one and the same thing as having her head shaved. For if a woman will not veil herself, then she should cut off her hair. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or to be shaved, she should wear a veil. For a man ought not to shave his head veiled, or sorry, for a man ought not to have his head veiled, since (laughs) one letter makes a lot of difference, have his head veiled, Since he is the image and reflection of God, but woman is the reflection of man. Indeed, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. For this reason, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man or man independent of woman. For just as a woman came from man, so man comes through woman, but all things come from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head unveiled? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is, a de- it is degrading to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone is disposed to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. So. Wow. Yeah. This is. What? <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, this is a weird passage because um, it starts out with Paul kind of, you know, giving the Corinthians their sugar. You know, you remember me and everything and you do what I told you to do. So, but now here's your medicine. Put on that veil, ladies. Um, so this has been a really um, difficult passage for a lot of interpreters, in part because the the word for husband and wife in Greek is uh, gune for wife, aner uh, for husband, but those are literally the words for man and woman as well. Mm-hmm. So you've got a generic understanding and a more specified understanding of what these words could mean. Mm-hmm. So anytime you heard man or husband or wife or woman, I mean, it's the same words. There's not any indicator. You have to make a judgment call, which again, with mm-hmm. translations, it's always making choices. And then this notion of head is, it can be a metaphorical head, 
um, in terms of an authority figure or a leader, or it could be a literal head talking about the literal head on your body. Um, and again, you have to kind of parse that out. That's not quite as difficult. Um, and, and scholars are debating on whether Paul is telling women that they need to veil because they're not in practice mm. or in, in cultic practices. So in, in church services, or is he telling them to stop unveiling because the tradition is that they have been veiling in church services and they've decided all of a sudden to stop doing it. Uh. Um, I personally don't think it matters either way. <laughs> it sounds like he wants them to veil. <laughs> Yeah. It, this has also been a really contentious passage for feminists because um, there's a lot of authority language and about women being secondary. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll get to some of that. Um, but it's really important to know that to note that, um, which is a phrase I say a lot. Yeah. I've learned it's important to note that I say that phrase a lot um, <laughs> that. Oh, it's really important to note that Paul is very, very much a product of his, of his society in yes. his time. So, yeah. um, a lot of what we see here reflected here is some, some more cultural and societal understandings of how women should dress mm-hmm. in cultic services and how, how different statuses of women, whether they're married or they're widows or they're virgins, that is to say they're unmarried young maidens, um, it, all of that's kind of in here. And so we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So there's a passage or a paper by a man named Jason David. I'm assuming his last name is pronounced Badun, B-E-D-U-H-N. And it's called Because of the Angels Unveiling Paul's Anthropology in First Corinthians 11. So you see what he did there. He's clever. Nice. Um, so one of the first things that he notes, um, and he kind of, he kind of bypasses it, is that... Um, Some scholars, and I think this happens a lot when Paul is exceptionally difficult or they say something that they, he says something they don't like, they want to say he didn't write it. And um, this is one of those uh, passages that there are several scholars who have argued that Paul did not write it or at least not all of it. Mm. Um, And so if you're interested, those scholars would be William Walker, um, Lamar Cope, G.W. Trump. T-R-O-M-P-F, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and Jerome Murphy O'Connor, um, he argues counter to them. Um, and there are others who, um, um, I'd li- like I mentioned, who want to say that this is about women unveiling mm-hmm. um, because they were previously veiled or women just not veiling at all, and he wants them to. And then there are also others who think this it has absolutely nothing to do with literal veils. It all has to do with the length of a woman's hair, that these women are cutting their hair short. Mm. Um, but June is like, this is about veils. It's about <laughs> so It's a hat. It's, yeah, this is, it's a hat. Um, so this passage, as we read it, he, Paul seems to kind of be going back and forth. And um, a lot of it's really contingent on what he's meaning by gune and oner and by um, the word for head, which I think is kephale. I think I'm remembering that correctly. Sounds right. Sounds right. We'll say it is. Y'all can fact check me in the comments. He, he starts out with this, I commend you. So he's he, common in the Corinthian correspondence um, is Paul quoting back to them or responding to something that they have written to him and asked him or... Um, some sort of slogan is what they're often called that the Corinthians live by. And so this seems to be another little example here of, of Paul um, 
alluding to something that the Corinthians have brought up with Paul, with any of the letters that we have actually, but, um, it's just important to know, (laughs) keep in mind that we only have half of the correspondence. So we don't, um, we have to reconstruct what the Corinthians are asking Paul or what they might believe differently than Paul or agree with him based off of what Paul is saying and how he's responding to them. Sure. So, um, it seems here, um, so he, he starts by praising them. Um, and he really does that because he's going to, to leverage, uh, use that praise as leverage to get them to do what he wants more. Like you guys are so great. You always do what I tell you best. So let's find one more time where you're going to do what I tell you to do. These words start popping up in Corinthians three, um, husband, wife, man, woman, um, and head. Um, and so this is really sort of where things started. And he translates this, this passage. Um, um, now I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, but the head of every married woman. So every wife, which is how the NRSV translates it is the man, i.e. her husband, um, but the head of Christ is God. Um, so this is reflecting a pretty stock piece of Christian tradition and even beyond that, a larger tradition where there's a hierarchy of God up top, Christ, man, woman, and then it just keeps going down from there. Mm-hmm. And he then takes that and really inserts it into a, um, a more cultural, a, tri- a piece of cultural wisdom, as he called it, probably deriving from Genesis chapter two, um, about the subordination of a woman to a man or the husband to the wife. Because of this distinction between man and woman, and because of this subordination between a wife to her husband, in a religious setting, then uh, men and women have uh, distinct appearances appropriate to those settings. Okay. Um, and so to violate those the way that you're supposed to dress basically in these settings is to bring shame or disgrace on the one above you. So that's why he translates uh, this next part of it as, you know, every man that prays or prophesies while having something on his head, literal head, shames his figurative head, Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, But every married woman that prays or prophesies with her literal head uncovered brings shame on her figurative head, her husband. Um, because it's the same thing as her having her head shaved. So the shaving of a woman's head, this is, like I said, there have been some scholars who've talked about how this passage is actually just about women need to have their hair long. And I've seen some women's haircuts and not every woman needs to have her hair long. So um, (laughs) that's just me being real basic and judgy. Badoon wants to talk about how you know, the, the significance of a woman shaving her head, that's really up for debate in, in the ancient world. Um, he says um, that, quote, its connection here to shaming or to breaking with the authority of the man suggests somehow a disavowal of the husband. So perhaps indicating, so a shaved head would maybe indicate that she was an adulteress or a widow. Uh. Um, and so therefore, to remove the veil is to disavow her husband in the same way that to shave her head would be to disavow her husband. Got it. So this is very particular. This veiling part is very particular to married women. Hmm. Um, and then he moves a little bit more broadly, um, in part because in the ancient world, 
unmarried young women were not expected to veil. Um, and then it, it seems to indicate that perhaps widows were not also expected to veil. And then dishon- dishonorable women, in quotes, women, women who were um, voluntarily or forced into prostitution probably were not veiling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, things like that. So um, this this part of veiling, it's really pertaining to the married women. And so then we move to verses 7 uh, through 9 here. So for a man ought not to have his head veiled since he is the image and reflection of God. Um, and this is moving more towards generic. So man, not husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... We've got some some slippage of language here, and there's a there's a new term that gets introduced here, and it's the verb ophilo, um, and it can mean somebody must do something, um, you're obligated to do something, or you ought to do something. Um, and Badun chooses the the obligated the, mm-hmm. the the term for obligation there um, because he thinks that it reflects um, that that broader range of connotations. So it's sort of a man's duty to cover up his head or sorry, a man's duty. He's not obliged to cover up his head because he is the image and reflection of God. But the woman is obliged to cover up her head because she's the reflection of man. Okay. So it's still got this weird hierarchy going on. This passage is confusing people. I'm fully aware. And also I'm really sorry if I'm, um, if you can tell that I have a cough drop in my mouth and so that I can talk. (laughs) Um, since man is less than God, Badoon thinks, they don't have to cover because they reflect God closely. Okay. But women are one step further from that. They don't reflect God. They reflect a man. And since a man is less perfect okay. than God, she should cover because she's such a lesser form of perfection. Um yeah, I'm trying. But also because it indicates she's dependent upon me. Yeah. It's super weird. I'm scratching um, my head here just so you know. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm doing my best. And Badoon, I mean, even Badoon does this better than I do. I mean, it would, I should probably just read his paper directly <laughs> and just call it good. But I'm not going to do that. Because um, I feel like he probably might come after me for. <laughs> plagiarizing plagiarizing even though i i start by saying quote and end the yeah. whole thing by end quote yeah. so then everybody knows everything i said you're citing this. him I'm citing him the whole time um par- okay <laughs> this is just a complicated passage okay so he a man doesn't have to cover his head because right. he re- he reflects god a woman has to because she reflects man and she's not as good as the man because she can't reflect god perfectly logical all right so then he says Indeed, and as sort of a justification, and this is coming from the Genesis stories, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. So it's got to be more broadly generic because there's not a single man in existence that didn't come out of a woman's body. Sure. So this has to be referring to like the original uh, primordial mythical mythical past. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So then he says, also man, generic man, was not created for the woman, but the woman for the man, right? So mm-hmm. Paul's, Badoon writes, Paul's view about the appropriate appearance 
distinctive to men and women in worship are based on this hierarchy of headship, which is pretty clearly articulated, <laughs> pretty unclearly articulated here, <laughs> which in turn rests on a created priority that subordinates women in origin. So they're from men mm-hmm. and in status and they're for men. Got so, it. okay. <sighs> okay. Then we get into the weird angel stuff yeah. because of this. The woman is obliged to possess authority over her head, literal, because of the angels. So one of the interesting things that Bedun does here is he, because of Paul's use of that word ophelo that I talked about Uh with the the obliged sense, a woman, some translators and some interpreters understand this to mean, hey, fellas, make sure your lady's covering her head. Mm Mm-hmm. He's arguing that Paul is saying, ladies, make sure you cover your own head. So he's Um, giving them a direct address, a direct address, a a sense of autonomy about this. He will go on later to argue. It's not like, Mm -hmm. it's not like this liberating thing for women. Um, (laughs) He does argue that Paul is very troubled by the fact that these women can have this authority, but it's just the way things are. Women are obliged to possess authority over their literal heads because of the angels. And so it's more about women taking control of their place in the hierarchy, if you will, than it is about veiling per se, although veiling is part of how they take their place in the hierarchy. Sure. Okay. (sighs) Man. Okay. So, oh my gosh. You have to we, cut this part out while I... Can we talk about the angels? Yes, let's talk about these angels. Can okay. we talk about the spooky angels? Um, so why, here's my question. Why? Angel, like, <laughs> how do angels... So I get the whole hierarchy that's being built up in the structure. You've got mm-hmm. Christ, then you've got the man, then you've got the woman, and I get where Paul's coming from there. How? Where do angels fit into this scheme, and how do women have to, like fit and parallel them like are they afraid the angels are gonna not obey god like and women need to i don't know am i preempting stuff like nope you're good okay so So we'll talk about this and then we'll we'll yeah because it's it's important it doesn't actually matter where we throw it in i could put it in a point cool um because i don't understand okay so some previously proposed understandings of the angels because paul gives like zero context for this Mm -hmm. he just says because of the angels and then moves on (laughs) As if everybody knows. Everybody knows. knows so the means. presumption then would be either maybe in in person teaching or maybe lost letters or something that the Corinthians wrote to him. Sure. And he's sharing whatever. That somewhere the he he's counting on the Corinthians to fill in what he means. Okay. And whatever the heck it was that he meant is really lost to us in a lot of ways. But Badoon proposes, well, let me tell you what others have proposed. Sure. So uh, a gentleman named Fitzmaier has proposed that the angels just denote a sacred presence. Um, so that's why they need to veil because of the angels being present in the room. Okay. And I guess no other explanation. I did not read his paper. Um, some of the Qumran literature, um, so the Dead Sea Scroll stuff, yeah. talks about the divine presence of God um, in the temple and euphemizes it by talking about the presence of angels. Um, so that's similar to Fitzmaier. Um, perhaps there was a tension between um, Roman colonial practice and indigenous Greek custom in the community. Mm-hmm. So 
um, we've just got a, t- a clash of cultures here and sure. they can't decide what needs to be done. Interesting. Um, there's another explanation that women might've met separately from men. Um, and so it being just women in the room, they felt like they could unveil, but the presence of these, I guess, quasi male angels, um, Paul's like, no, 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 there actually are still men quote unquote um. in the room. Um, but then there's really not any evidence that they did meet separately than the men. So yeah. that's, it's going a little far. Um, some have suggested that, you know, the women would become, be subject to predatory advances sure. by angels, kind of pulling back on the Genesis six, mm-hmm. um, sons of God, daughters of man yeah. stuff. Um, but Dune doesn't like any of this. He suggests, um, and he pulls from several different places to, to make this point. But he suggests that um, that what Paul is really doing here um, is attributing, uh, I'm quoting him here, attributing the separate formation of woman from man to a creative act of angels, not of God. Oh. So, now we all know the famous Pauline line in Galatians, there is no longer a slave or free, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer male or female. In Christ. And so for some, this feels very contradictory because on one hand, Paul wants to say in Christ, all of those distinctions are null and void. Mm -hmm. But then he's also here saying that in church, when you're worshiping Christ, uh, you need to dress distinctively according to your station, more or less. So, um, but Dune wants to say that's not actually inconsistent because he is going to say right after this, because of the angels, he's going to jump right into nevertheless in the Lord, woman is not independent of man or man independent of woman for just as a woman came from man. So a man comes through woman and all things come from God. So he's wanting to say either you're going to have to read this as being totally contradictory or we have to make sense of it another way. He takes this position that because women were understood to be, imperfect males in the ancient world. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of um, ancient texts sort of documenting this idea that women are kind of underbaked in the womb, that it's an imbalance of hot heat and cold. It's all kinds of stuff that this imperfection. And so there seems to be in sort of the, the Gnostics kind of take the proto Gnostics and Gnostic texts seem to take it to its extreme, but Philo shares a little bit this sort of letting God off the hook for things perceived as not quite up to par. Uh, And so this starts happening by attributing certain acts to angelic powers rather than to God. And you can still see some of this euphemization in the Hebrew text. And so this idea of, I think we talked about this with Hagar, that an angel of the Lord appears to her. Mm, theophanies. But the idea is maybe that's actually just a way of talking about God. Might be God. Um, yeah. And so these euphemisms being taken as if that's actually what it was, as opposed to reading it euphemistically as talking about God. Sure. So when God says in Genesis, let us create man in our own image, mm-hmm. the us who ends up creating are the angels, mm. creating the woman. And so this gendered, mm. this gendered division that happens is because God created man and then the angels came in and created a female and split it up. So Hmm. he writes this to kind of let, to to clarify a little bit. He writes, the angels are not implicated in any particular creative blunder in the making of Eve per se, 
Rather, it is the separation of the human being into two that is the calamity. Mm. Not the creation of a woman, but this the separation of this this division. So he continues, the question for Paul is how much and how soon this rupture will be healed. But precisely because he understands gender division as a rupture of a more perfect unity, Paul has sufficient motivation to ascribe the origin of this rupture to angels rather than to God. Mm. So the two sexes are because... Angels got involved, and that's not a bad thing per se that a woman was created, but the bad thing is that now there are two sexes right, instead sure. of the One. perfect ideal man. And that's because of the angels. So the reason that he's getting at here, and and also he, he cites several things that I won't talk about, but there are um there are several accounts during this the same period that Paul's writing in where um Angels are said to participate in the creation of Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. So he's not alone in, in oh, the, he's yeah. not making this up. There's stuff out there. Um, because of time, we'll, we'll, we'll move forward here. So the role of the angels is really ambivalent. So they've caused problems for humanity, but pesky angels, because, but for the time being, whatever this problem is that they've caused, we have to be respect. We have to respect it. And we have to deal with what that means. So to some extent, God has already through Christ bridged that division. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that sense, Paul can say woman comes, came from man, man comes from woman. All things come from God. We're not independent of each other. Even while he's saying that there still are some gendered stuff going on because that, that division's not wholly healed yet. So it's that, what theologians talk about the already not yet. Mm -hmm. Like there's already some aspects that have been changed. So some in reaching, if you will, of the eschaton into our time, making some fundamental changes, but at the same time, it's not completely done in part because everybody's still got their different genitals. Right. So (laughs) because of your particular genitals, you got to put something on your head. But the bigger issue for Paul, veiling is one instance of it, but the bigger issue for Paul, according to Badoon, is the idea of women needing to recognize that there is they have a place in this hierarchy and they need to stay within that place. Mm-hmm. They need to respect it for the time being, even though um, how they might, some of their eschatological thinking in terms of there is no male or female, so some of these gendered rules that we have can go. Um, which is a really big issue all throughout the Corinthian letters is that that how some of the women are acting in this church has really got the church divided and Paul up in in all kinds of ruffles. I don't know. Mm -hmm. He's all flustered. He's flustered about it. He's got to address a lot of this. Um, But it seems to be because these women are really, really, I mean, buying into the nth degree of there is no more male or female. Mm -hmm. And so they are acting in ways contrary to how women in first century Roman mm-hmm. Empire should mm-hmm. be acting, even in a cultic setting, that he's got to address this. So he keeps talking about, <laughs> in, um, does nature not teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's degrading him. If a woman has long hair, it's her glory. So he wants to make this argument from nature. It's not convincing because if a man doesn't cut his hair, it also gets long. Right. Like It sounds like Paul just doesn't understand how hair works. Um, Basic human biology. <laughs> so um, it's not a convincing argument. Um, what, a better way to understand what he might be saying, he might actually be thinking nature, but 
does not our culture teach us that a man, if a man wears long hair, it's degrading to him. If a woman has short hair, it's degrading to her. Obviously. Um, as opposed to nature in terms of how hair grows. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, you know, he, he kind of just throws it out. But, you know, if you, if this isn't convincing to you, like I've argued based off of creation, I've argued about these angels. I've argued that um, hair grows in a different way than you understood it to grow. <laughs> if y'all don't like any of those arguments, then my trump card here is that, you know, none of the other churches unveil. So stop, more or less. So anyway, I think this is helpful. I'm, it's a long, par- it's not a long paragraph. It's about as long as the passage itself is. But I'm going to read Bedoun's sort of reconstruction of this passage through the lens of his interpretation and see Mm. if it makes more sense this way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he writes, my reconstruction sees the Corinthians sending an inquiry to Paul that asks, why do we maintain distinctions between the apparel of men and women in the assembly? Why should some pray and prophesy with head covered while others do not? Have we not lost gender distinctions in the Lord? Have we not become like the angels? Can you provide us with reasons for this custom or can we safely abandon it in light of our new identity in Christ? So that's how Badun is sort of imagining mm-hmm. this conversation starting. Those are the questions the Corinthians hypothetically are coming to Paul and asking. So to this inquiry, Paul replies, and this would be a, a cleanup of what we've got here. It is good that you maintain the traditions and do not lightly toss them aside in light of your own reasonings. There are good reasons for maintaining this custom We remain in the body. We remain men and women. In the body, there is distinction rooted in how we came to be in the beginning. Men more directly reflect their creator. Women do so in a mediated way. Hence the distinction with regard to veils. This created order establishes distinct responsibilities, which the individual is obligated to observe. Do you aspire to be like angels? It is because of the angels that you find yourselves in this differentiated condition because of their mediation of creation and the imperfection of their work. It is because of the angels that a woman must exercise responsibility over her head by keeping these traditional markers of her difference. We know these conditions will ultimately be transcended, but not yet. Given this state of things, do you not see the reasonableness of maintaining these traditions? Nature reveals God's intention for life in this age while we wait for the life of the resurrection. This is my understanding of these things. Judge for yourselves, but you should know that no other assembly practices what you propose. Why didn't Paul just write that? (laughs) Uh, I think Badun has done a really nice job here of making sense of something that's really difficult and taking, uh, because that, because of the angels sometimes gets thrown away. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what to make of it, so let's just take it out of there and pretend like it doesn't actually affect interpretation. But I think he does a really nice job of making sense of this passage, using and taking seriously that because of the angels, but not like going wacko do with it, mm-hmm. demonstrating that like this is this idea of the angels mediating some of God's work was in the water. Paul was not right. unique uh, in this, so he's not overstepping. We see bigger examples of it, but it makes sense even with how Paul talks about other things. It makes sense of this passage. And I I mean, I think he does a really good job. I still have moments when I read this and I think that Paul got asked a question he didn't know the answer to and he just couldn't decide. 
And so he just kind of waffled, waffled on it. Yeah. Um, I think we're dealing with a human being writing letters on the fly. And it's, it's not to say that Paul was not a, um, a smart man. It's not to say that he was not thoughtful and had some sort of systematized theology, but it is to say he's not a systematic theologian, right? He's not thinking in strict categories like we want him to think. And I think sometimes, I mean, Badoon, Badoon would disagree with me on this for sure. But I think sometimes Paul just doesn't make sense. I think sometimes he just doesn't know what the right answer is. And so he kind of throws some things out there and sees what sticks. And this Badoon's reading of this makes a lot of sense of it as well. But then I still read it sometimes and I'm like, I just don't think he knew I think that he knew that the women unveiling was a problem and he didn't really know why. And so, cause I mean, his last, his last comment of, uh, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. I mean, that just feels like a, I don't know, but nobody else does it. So don't do it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like he just doesn't know. So I think we do him a disservice by needing him to be consistent and coherent all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you need it to be consistent and coherent, I think, Bedouin does a really nice job of of cleaning that up, and that final rewriting of this passage is 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 very clear. So, uh, ladies, got to get your veils out um, now that we've made sense of this. We have to start wearing them to church again. So, sorry, uh, sorry, but they make them real pretty and bedazzled now. So, <laughs> I think what's so surprising to me is that normally. Paul and other New Testament writers are falling back upon some pretty weighty texts from Hebrew Bible land. And in this case, you only really get mentions of women wearing coverings. Mm-hmm. There's no actual command in, like, there's no text that's written as ascribed to God speaking saying yeah. women ought to cover their heads. So it's really interesting here that you've got. Uh, what is it? Uh, Genesis 24, Numbers 5, and then there's a, a passage in Isaiah 47 that all talk about women covering their heads. But it's descriptive, not prescriptive, yeah. which is a thing that we've talked about a, f- a number of times. But there's no, you don't get God says women cover yeah. your heads. Wear a hat, ladies. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I, I think that's interesting. Paul definitely thinks you should. The tradition seems to be such at the time. Um, but this is another one of those really nice examples of we cherry picking our authoritative commands in the text because, um, now granted, I know, um, I come from, I, I grew up in Pentecostal and charismatic traditions and there are some branches of Pentecostalism where that, that rely a little bit on this passage of not women, not cutting their hairs because it's, it is their glory. Mm-hmm. And so they'll have hair to their ankles if it grows that long. Um, and it's sort of rooted in this, they don't veil. I would imagine, I think that this passage at one point in time was sort of why women didn't have to take their hats off in church, but men did. Um, but I mean, this is one of those things that even, you know, staunch literalist readers don't make their women veil in church. Yeah. And Paul is saying you should. Mm-hmm. He ultimately is, and he's saying it because you're inferior. And so um, it's okay that you're not, I'm not telling you, you should start wearing it. I'm. This is another one of those moments of reflecting on, huh, I recognize this intuitively as representing a different cultural perspective. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, 
and maybe, and I, I think it's good to recognize that, y- that you are making choices about how you're interpreting what you're going to put into your life and what you're not and why, and that we, we really do some of this intuitively. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I've read this passage a billion times. It gets preached usually to tell women that they aren't as good at anything as men. But I dare a man to have a baby in church. I'm just kidding. <laughs> in church. <laughs> in church. In your face. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That was <laughs> terrible. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that this is one of those really great examples of we make it metaphorical. We make mm-hmm. and but then there are other things that we're just hyper literal on. Like we're metaphorical about you know women wearing veils in churches, but this passage in Leviticus from 6,000 years ago about you shouldn't get a tattoo to honor the dead means nobody should get a tattoo ever anywhere on their body. Um, as is just a blanket rule that everybody should be following. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's fascinating how the human mind works. So anyway, Ashley, I hope this helped make sense of this passage for you. Um, let us know. Let us know. It's an, it's an interesting article. I'll have Zach throw it on his Google Drive as well so that we can link it. It's it's pretty technical in terms of there's some Greek throughout it. And then as well as he doesn't he quotes throughout the text, but he he really just talks about verses. So if you do, if you do um, try to plow through it, make sure you've got your Bible side by side because mm-hmm. he's not always mm-hmm. telling you. He's just saying, I'm looking at verse six, but not telling you what it says. So you won't have that nearby. But but anyway, um Oh, I meant to mention this. We picked this passage because it's Halloween month and um, veil sounds like costumes. So it's a reach, but you're welcome. Spooky veils. Spooky veils. Makes women look like ghosts when they pull it over their whole head. (laughs) So uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And then we're pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. But since you are listening to this right now, I bet you know that. You so, know where to find us. Yeah, you found us. Good job. So, but tell a friend. Let's build this audience. So we appreciate y'all listening and, and taking time to listen to us talk. This has been Not Your Grandma's Bible Study. And this has been Not Your Grandma's. See you next time. Amen and Selah.